Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. joining our first episode in the three-part series Spotting a Scam, covering topics on identity theft, investment scams, hacking, remote access scams, and password hygiene. I am your host, Ella Gaville-Dace, and today's podcast focuses on identity theft. Identity theft is a huge concern, with Scamwatch reporting that Australians have lost nearly $8 million to identity theft scams this year alone. The more you know about identity theft, the better prepared you can be to prevent it from happening to you and know what steps to take should you fall victim. Today we are fortunate to be joined by experts Detective Superintendent Jane Welsh of Victoria Police's Cybercrime Division and Shane Corrett, Chief Information Officer at Bank Vic, to help us further understand identity theft. Welcome to both of you. So can you tell us a bit about your careers to date and how you came to be in your current position? Shane, let's start with you. I'm the CIO at Bank Vic for um, just over three months now. I've worked in uh, IT in a variety of roles for over 20 years. Started out as a network engineer, moving into security engineering and kind of worked my way through the ranks um, and spent the last 20 years working in banking. Wonderful. Jane, what about you? I've had 35 years in policing. I think I'm just about to tip over into 36. And that has consisted of all manner of different sorts of policing, from operational policing through to the investigation of serious crimes, the investigation of death, both at the homicide squad and assisting the coroner, uh, investigating corruption at our professional standards command. And now more recently, over the last three years, I've been involved in the investigation of cybercrime and the building of Victoria Police's cybercrime capability at the Crime Command. Incredible. I think we've got two people here that can hopefully give us all the answers that we need with spotting a scam. So identity theft is very topical. Are you seeing more cases of identity theft or is it that people are just more aware of it currently? I certainly say that we're seeing a lot more of it uh, and that's mainly by way of our national reporting platform which is Report Cyber and that captures the statistics across the country Victoria is unfortunately very highly represented in those statistics and identity theft and fraud are two of the biggest crimes and incidents that we're seeing reported at the moment. We're seeing it everywhere. And you look in the media and recent big breaches of criminals stealing data. Uh, One of the main reasons they want to steal data is to create identities, open accounts, so we're definitely seeing a lot more of it. So what are the implications of having your identity stolen? 
I always like to think of the, f- the first most significant implication is it's incredibly traumatic. That, that's the very first thing, and that tends to impact the decisions that we make as soon as we find out about it. So it's, a, it's, uh, it's very similar to somebody opening the front door of your house and letting themselves into all of your rooms while you're still there. It's that level of anxiety. Uh, and the other implications, of course, are that they also make their way through your digital life. So they can access all the things you accessed uh, at, at its most extreme, and then they can go about purchasing things as you uh, and doing things as you in a digital space. They're, they're some of the most significant um, and probably most uh, evident impacts. I think traumatic is a good way of mm. um, explaining that they can gain access to your social media account, perform scams on your friends and family. It's incredibly disruptive to someone's life and actually quite difficult to undo. One of the things that's also difficult about it is you might not know about this until many, many months later when you get uh, an invoice or the bank calls you and they're wanting to know why are you in the Philippines, for example, you didn't let us know you were travelling. So it's that sort of finding out much, much later and then the anxiety associated with what's happened in the months that have followed. It sounds very invasive as well the idea of someone really rummaging through and impersonating yourself. I often say to people, when we think of the wonderful advantages that the internet and the digital world have provided for us, it has also provided wonderful advantages and acts as a force multiplier for criminals. So as good as it has been for us to live our lives in very different ways, it has been equally as wonderful for criminals. We understand you might not be able to give specifics, but are you able to share an example of identity theft you have seen which has been particularly bad? I think they're all particularly bad. The levels of impact for people can depend very much on the cohort. So for some of the seniors in our community, it can rock them to their core uh, because the digital world is already an unfamiliar place and to be told that they've been compromised in that area is, is incredibly difficult for them to understand. Uh, for the most part. We've had a lot of examples of people who have had items purchased under their name. They have had their identity used to get onto illegal forums, so that might be child exploitation forums. Uh, They've had their identities used to set up um, mule bank accounts that are used to launder proceeds of crime. So it's uh, very awkward when they have police calling them or knocking on their door, asking them why they've set up bank accounts to assist in the laundering of money. Uh, which, of course, they have no idea and no involvement in. They're some of uh, the things that come most immediately to mind. You would almost think that the call alerting you that your identity has been stolen or even questioning whether or not you've been opening a bank account that has been used to as a mule account, you would almost think that the person calling you to alert you of this is a scammer. It would just sound so out of the realm of possibility. And that's the difficulty. And we're all very aware that we've had some really high-profile cyber attacks um, more recently that have been referred to. And, of course, big organisations try to reach out to people who have, whose data has been either accessed or exfiltrated and now out on the dark web. And, of course, people become incredibly anxious about even those phone calls from organisations that are reaching out for help. What are some things that people can do to protect their identity online? What are the basics really important? Passwords are the Achilles heel, and it's where a lot of um, information security protection starts. Using strong passwords, using unique passwords, not reusing passwords, not writing passwords down. It's a real challenge often for people to keep track of all the passwords. We have so many online accounts 
using a password safe is a really good tool to help manage your passwords and set strong passwords. Other things people need to do, they need to be aware of that there are scams out there. There are people trying to um, steal their, their information, their login details. So don't click on links. Most institutions won't send you an SMS or an email asking you to click on a link and enter your information. If in doubt, err on the side of caution. Send them an email, um, go to their website. When you receive phone calls asking for login information, bring them back. If it's a bank that's calling you, say, thank you for the call, I'll call you back. And call their public number, not a number they give you, because scammers will try and impersonate um, the institutions that you, you, you deal with. You can only imagine what kind of rabbit hole that is to trying to re-verify by taking the phone number down and then finding out that you're actually just calling someone else that isn't even the organisation that you're a part of. It, it happens, and it's happened many times where people ring their bank and say, I've just received a call regarding this issue, and the bank will say, that wasn't us. So um, it's just really important to not automatically assume who you're talking to is who they say they are. Absolutely. What about yourself, Jane? What are some tips that people can do to protect their identity online? I do need to double down on the password uh, information. It really, really critical. Change them regularly, uh, make them different, make them long. Uh, the other piece too, I think, is to urge people to be really bold in this space and not sort of be passive participants in an online world, which really means doing the work that we need to do to understand the risks of the environment that we're working in. So there's some really wonderful sites. The Australian Cyber Security Centre has just an unbelievable amount of information on their site about how to keep safe, what the latest scams are, uh, what we need to do about making sure that our software is constantly updated. So it's about playing our role as individuals uh, to understand what the risks are, what we need to do to keep ourselves safe and our data safe, and also really understanding what the limits of that are there is very little we can do to keep our data safe when it's in the custody of a third party. And so understanding what the limits of what we can do are is really important as well because it helps us stay calm in a crisis uh, and also helps us to understand what we need to do when we think there has been a breach and who to call, who not to call um, and who, where we can get the, the best amount of uh, advice and assistance from in the immediate term. Wonderful, thank you. I love the term passive participants. I feel like it's where we really want people to be active bystanders but also taking that proactive measure because everyone, myself included, has the thought that it will just won't be me, it would never happen to me or this just wouldn't happen to me, this isn't the kind of area where that would happen but the online space is one space, just one, so it's where it's worth making sure that you do things right. What are some of the unfortunate things that would alert someone that their identity has been stolen? We touched on this before, but certainly seeing strange transactions appearing in your in your bank account, uh, maybe things that you, you don't believe you've bought or that's been purchased from a, a different country are the obvious ones. Starting to get emails around a credit card product that you never apply for are sort of really common ones that we see. Is it where the transactions would usually be something like big, like $500 spent on Amazon, or what would we be looking for? So a lot of the criminals, they're very, and the scammers, they're really clever and they're really savvy that we'll often see a higher volume of 
low value transactions to try and fly below the radar, get through different kind of scanning systems that we have in place. So the answer is you'll see all sorts of transactions and probably more likely to be smaller ones so they can get away with it. Yeah, absolutely. It's about knowing what your patterns of life are, so to speak, and uh, identifying uh, what's unusual. Because sometimes we can't rely on external organisations like banks to ring us and say, there's a strange a transaction on your account. Uh, it's about checking, you know, every month checking and having a look and, and speaking to people in the house about, did you make this purchase? When did you make it? Um, is this us? So, Jane, what is being done about identity crime in Australia? I feel very much like the answer to that question is what hasn't been done at this point. And I know that there's a lot of criticism about there's not enough being done, but where I'm sitting and the work that I do at a state, national and international level, not just working with law enforcement, but working with banking and a lot of the digital platforms, there's a lot of work done in the legislation reform space to ensure that the right data is shared with the right People. Uh, law enforcement are doing an awful lot of training. We're buying much better tools. We're interacting and collaborating uh, across states. And the banks are doing an enormous amount of work to make sure that their customers are kept safe. Beautiful. Now, Shane, what is Bank Vic doing to protect their customers from identity theft? It's a combination of trying to catch up on what the, the scammers or the criminals are doing and stop that from happening, but also trying to get ahead for what the next threat's going to be. So we do a range of things. In the technology world, AI is really effective and it helps us uh, build up expectations and understanding of what typical customers might do, what their typical uh, transaction um, history might look like. So we stop a lot of fraudulent transactions with transaction monitoring software. Another one that's quite topical and where we can help out is if someone has had some data stolen or they're concerned that their their identity has been um, stolen, if they tell the bank, we, we can apply extra stringent measures and be aware that if someone rings up trying to change an address for them or change an email address, that we're, we're aware and we can scrutinise that extra carefully. What are the biggest challenges or threats consumers face when related to cybersecurity or digital privacy? The threats are that the scammers and the, the criminals are so sophisticated. Um, the fact that they're not bound by, um, by borders or boundaries or jurisdictions is really challenging. We see a lot of attacks emanating offshore from countries that are very difficult to engage with. When we have people trying to um, steal information, and they're coming from Eastern Europe or places like the Seychelles, it's really difficult to get in contact with uh, enforcement over there and, and, and get them to stop. So that's, that's a real challenge. It's a real challenge. Mm. And the other big threat, I think, is the, the swiftness of the evolution of technology and the way it's being used by criminals. It's, it, it's incredibly rapid. And the types of scamming, um, as well as the types of uh, uses of one's uh, identity once it's been stolen, can pivot on a dime. So um, that's a really big threat. So some of the preventative messaging that may be going out one day uh, may not be sufficient to keep people safe in relation to another type of offending. So that, I think, is a really big threat. And I know that law enforcement are doing a lot of research working out how can we get the best cut through with comms in a timely way 
um, depending on what the what the uh, attack vectors are and depending on what the victim cohort looks like, because the messaging needs to be really different and suited um, to specific incidents. Wow, I can only imagine. And there's so many different instances. Yeah, there are. Now, Shane, are account owners responsible for fraudulent credit card activity or bank transactions made on their own accounts? People are responsible for their own transactions. If someone thinks that they've been defrauded, they should always contact the bank. If we can, we'll stop the transaction. Often we can get money back, sometimes we can't. People really need to take care. When you process a transaction, you're entering the BSB and the account number, you've really got to be sure that that's the right number and that it is that is the, the right number of the person you're transferring to. Before you make the payment, make sure. Once you click send, once you click commit, you've made the transaction. And it's, it's our members and our customers' money. We have to let them transact. So if they approve it, we let, the, let them go. If we can block it when it's found out it's incorrect, we'll do that. But yeah, people are responsible for the transactions that they, they commit to. Well, it does make sense. There is a level of personal responsibility when it comes to owning a bank account when actively participating in society. And a lot of that does circulate around money. So being aware of what you're doing with your money, be whether or not it was you or not, keeping your eyes on what's actually happening is very important. That's right. So having your identity stolen can be an overwhelming and distressing experience, just like how you said earlier. So what should a person do if their identity has been stolen? How can they get back in control? My very first piece of advice is do your best to stay calm um, and find a trusted other to walk at your shoulder through the next process because it's going to be difficult and it will probably be confusing as you try and re-secure your online life. So they're my first two bits of advice. Stay calm, find a friend. Um, they also help you to sense check if, if things are, are just not sounding quite right. The other is contact the bank. I think that's the very first thing that we need to do uh, and, and help get across to people is contact the bank, tell them what's happened. Uh, the bank's in the best possible position to make sure that things are secured, accounts are frozen and your money is kept as safe as possible. Uh, the next thing to do is to report the matter to the police. Now there are various ways of doing that but the two most effective ways, the first is to report online to report cyber, which uh, I mentioned earlier, it's the national reporting platform for all things cybercrime. Uh, anything that relates to Victoria will be referred to, to Victoria in real time, so it happens very, very quickly. We'll deal with those here at the Cybercrime uh, Squad at the Crime Command. Alternatively, uh, if you're not comfortable doing that, and I understand that it, it's, it's a very difficult ask to, to ask somebody to turn to the internet to deal with a crime that is, has been uh, perpetrated on the internet, so you can go to your police station and the police will give you some advice about what to do it is likely that the police will suggest that you go to report cyber, but they will also be able to give you some advice and engage you in a conversation that will help you remain calm and be able to do the things that you need to. The other piece of advice is ID Care. Now, ID Care is a national organisation that assists people who are victims of cybercrime, most particularly when you've had your identity stolen. They are amazing. Once again, you can... Uh, log your uh, incident online with them and they will get back to you. They're incredibly helpful and they will help you re-establish your online life. We have a local um, contact centre, so all of our members and, and customers call through to our um, local people who are all very well trained in dealing with these, these, these sorts of issues. We have um, 
arrangements in place with IV care that we refer our customers to as well and they get preferential treatment. That's a service that, that we offer. And depending on the, the, the potential type of fraud that be, would be occurring, we would look to freeze accounts or take appropriate actions to try and protect any further um, issues happening. Wonderful. Sounds like if you do suspect or that you have become victim of identity theft, knowing that you can contact the police or your local bank institution or Bank Vic if you're a member, it means that you'll be in the right hands. Now, to sum up this episode, how can identity theft be prevented? There probably will not be a point in time where we all wake up and say, thank goodness we've solved that problem. What we can do, though, is that we can reduce the incidence of ID theft. And other things are to speak with organisations about how they're looking after your data, I think organisations particularly now will be feeling the heat about how third parties are looking after our personal data, particularly our ID data. So it's also about being engaged in those conversations. People need to be aware. Just be, be cautious. Be doubly sure when you're transferring money. Don't give more ID or than you need to when you're applying for new accounts. Don't be shy to ask why you need to provide ID. So certainly there's a fair bit of onus on being careful, but also you can help your institutions like banks protect you as well. Make sure your information's up to date. When you change address, when you change your number, make sure you, you let us know. Use multi-factor authentication with your accounts. Again, those basic steps will go a long way to helping people protect their identity. If you think you have provided your account details, passport, tax file number, license, Medicare or other personal identification details to a scammer, contact your bank, financial institution or other relevant agencies immediately. You can also contact IDCare, a free government funded service which will work with you to develop a specific response plan to your situation and support you through the process. If you would like to learn more about spotting a scam, there are two more episodes in the series. For more information, head over to the Crime Stoppers website, crimestoppersvic.com.au. 